Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to another video and podcast from fantasyfootballscout.co.uk. My name is David and once again I am joined by Mark who comes to us live from the Fantasy Football Scout writer's room where the content never stops even when the season is finished because we have been going through our team of the season looking back on some of the best players from the 2022-23 season and today we're looking at forwards after having looked at all the other positions. So how are you doing, Mark? What's it been like in the Fantasy Football Scout editorial department? Football has finished, but the writing never stops. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Hello, everyone. Um, it's just as fun as ever. Uh, there's always something to write about, um, and it's always football. So, <laughs> Yeah, you can't complain there. There's worse things to do with your summer, let's be honest. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, so as I mentioned, we're looking at forwards today and uh, it's the final section in our team of the season uh, review. And there is a fantastic way for you guys out there to join in uh, with this process. Uh, so, Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about how uh, the readers, listeners, watchers, however they choose to consume our content, um, what uh, what they can do to help shape this team of the season. Yes. So if you go on the Fantasy Football Scout website, there will be an article uh, either on the front page or just going via all articles, um, specifically on vote for your best FPL forward of the season. And there'll be a poll there, and you just need to register um, up to... Uh, see, that's it, to be fair. I don't know how many it is because we haven't done it yet. Okay. Well, there'll be, I think, two or three, won't there, votes. Um, each position has different numbers. So, yeah, they'll have the opportunity to, to rank them. Goalkeepers, you get just one, but everywhere else, you at least get some choice, which is the main thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because um, I can have a look at because it's the whole minimum thing, isn't it? So, I mean, technically, it could be a minimum of one in the team, but I guess it would be for three forwards, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, it's a good job there's going to be more than one because we have to start with Erling Haaland and he kind of just is a bit of an auto-include. Um, and so it, it's good news that you can vote for more than one forward <laughs> because he kind of yeah. just soaks up a slot and it's it's kind of boring and exciting at the same time. We kind of had this with uh, with Trippier in the Defenders video when someone has such a dominant season. Um, kind of sit back and go, well, what else can we say about this guy? And so, well, now is the opportunity to see if you can say anything new about Erling Haaland. <laughs> it's quite the challenge. It's a, it's all being said, really. Yeah, I'll try my best. It's 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 just one of the greatest debut seasons we'll ever see in FPL. He was he's phenomenal, Erling Haaland. Um, he only he arrived with a big reputation, but he's already in one season broken the all-time Premier League record for goals in a season. Um, very early on, three consecutive home hat tricks. Uh, it was from the early days, it was ludicrous, and it was only those first 
couple of weeks maybe where there was any real sort of gain from having him because very quickly everybody owned him and most people out of safety captain him because he was he was getting hat tricks every week so why, <laughs> why would you captain anyone else yeah. and he didn't blank until his 10th game and then if you look at the underlying stats he's just uh, he's top for double digit holes shots inside the box shots on target big chances expected goals he's on top of all of those things as you would expect is 8.1 points per start are the best um yeah he's just he's Erling Haaland <laughs> That's pretty much all you need to say, isn't it? You got me. Could have just said that, but nice try. I mean, that was that was useful to be fair, um, just to to understand those underlying stats as well, because we are a big fan of those on Fantasy Football Scout. He did absolutely dominate them. I guess my only question, which seems silly to ask it, bearing in mind that he did just have such a dominant season, and was you know an auto include auto captain for much of the season, and even broke the captaincy video in effect for Joe and Tom, unfortunately. Um, Things did sort of trail off a little bit towards the end of the season. There was a couple of weeks where I sold him, and uh, well, most notably, of course, the final game of the season. Uh, but there was a couple of others when they had the blank game weeks as well. It sounds like a silly question, but what do we think his season holds for next year? What price would you put him at? I suppose is probably going to be the main thing. The scary thing is to say that this was his settling in campaign and that next season... <laughs> He will truly arrive, which is just a crazy thought. Um, uh, the, the one, the one stat that I did see, it sort of describes what he is as a player. Really, is, is penalty area touches is the most of all forwards, but he's only tenth amongst all forwards for total touches. So it's sort of shown that he has been a box player. And when you have someone like Kevin De Bruyne supplying you, why be anything else? But. Uh, the downside to all this is that he's probably going to get, uh, certainly going to get a huge price rise, isn't he? Something, a, a value that will force managers to think hard. And I don't know, I, I want to say 14, maybe? Is that even, mm. no, I, is that I, too much he's stuck? No, I think that's fair. I was I was hoping and expecting that you would say 14 uh, because it just feels obvious. You know, we've had Salah at 13. I don't think we've seen him go above that. Um, and to be fair, Haaland has only had one season. But as you say, this was supposed to be, oh, how can he adapt? Well, you know, he surely will only get better uh, when you consider that there were some people levelling complaints at him as a player for not contributing to the build-up enough. And you sort of touched on that with, with the numbers around how often he was in the box and not really being involved in build-up play outside of that. You know, could he possibly even add that element to his game? Uh, it might even th get in there with a couple more assists or something. There's definitely areas that he can improve, uh, which again sounds silly to say because he has just had an incredible season. So it's like, but when a player is in, is it comes to the league for the first time and does really well, they tend to normally kick on as well because they will just find things to improve on and they will get used to playing against this or used to playing against that. So I wouldn't be shocked if it was 14. I hope it's 13. Because I just want that extra million to spend somewhere else. But I think you're right. It's yeah. it's it's going to be less about whether or not we own Haaland. I think it just means that... Because I think we will all own Haaland for game week one. It will just be more a case of what are we prepared to sacrifice to do it? And what will we be missing by doing it? So 
yeah, that's very much um, going to be uh, what happens, I think. And let's move on to our second player because it could have an impact on, on him because when your must-have premium goes up in price for the new season, it, it potentially makes it much harder to have the two, the three uh, premium setup. And one of the players that has every right to be in that conversation, provided he's still in the Premier League, is Harry Kane. And he's shown this season that he very much you know deserve to be in if you were gonna well if you're creating the team of the season which is what we're doing you know if there was budget involved in that then actually it doesn't it shouldn't matter because Kane has also had an incredible season his best ever actually and you, you kind of needed to also have him as well but it's weird in a way because it took everybody a really long time to kind of notice that yeah. um so it's 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 an odd campaign for him in, in many ways slightly different um, so what can, you, what can you tell us about it? Well, because of his final day haul, Harry Kane ended up just nine points behind Haaland, which I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have Having owned Harry Kane for a while, I was, was quite aware that he was having a very good under-the-radar season, but I would still have never guessed nine behind Haaland, which is kind of phenomenal, really. And... Um, in some ways, you could say it's more impressive because because of the teams that they play for. Um, Harry Kane, it's interesting comparing him with Haaland in terms of the whole package because not only is Kane, he's had more shots than Haaland. He's, it, was, it was one of the only categories that the Norwegian didn't come out on top for was, was total shots. Kane had 133 of those attempts and he's also the forward, the forward that's created the most chances. So it's near perfection for Kane. And yet this season largely remained in, in the shadow of Haaland. And if he does, let's say Kane does leave and go to Real Madrid or something, that would kind of be that would be bad for the game because you've lost another premium there and, and it would sort of remove some of the decisions that I think the game are trying to force out of us by pricing Haaland so high and whatever they do with Salah, if, if we lose a premium, it sort of loses a bit of the variety again, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, that's why I would love to see him go to Man United, to be honest. We talked about that in the midfielders video. The opportunity to maybe own Kane and Rashford at, at Man United is quite an exciting one. Although Real Madrid... Of course, is very much in the conversation because it has been confirmed, I think, in the last sort of 24 hours that um, Karim Benzema is going to be leaving Real Madrid, which sort of feels a little bit like they have opened up a slot. <laughs> and uh, if you're choosing between those two clubs, I know which one I'd rather play for right now. So um, <laughs> it, it, would, it would be a shame if we were to lose him. Uh, that, is, that is for sure. I mean, mm. he has been a fantasy legend for, for many, many years. And I've, I've got a lot of affinity for this guy just because of England as well. I mean, we sort of, I'm sort of drifting into the more sentimentality around the player than necessarily his stats performance. But he, this guy means a lot to a lot of people in this country and um, has meant a lot to a lot of people through fantasy down through the years. I can think of some some great cane halls that I captained or triple captained that have, have really helped me in the past. So, yeah, yeah. it sticks around. And, and for Real Madrid, it's a tough owner to negotiate with, but it's, you can see exactly how they would approach it. They would say... Do you want him to leave for free? No. Do you want him to join a Premier League rival? No. So your only option is us, really. Yeah. Um, and 
yeah, the, I suppose it's, it's the whole sort of domino effect if Benzema does leave. It, it could it could be the big FPL news of the summer, really. And uh, the thing about Kane's returns is they were very consistent. That final day haul of 16 points was quite rare, actually. He rarely scored multiple goals. The, my favourite Kane statistic is that he never blanked in successive matches. Yeah, it's incredible. He only, since game week 23, he only blanks twice. So he was often, a lot of the season, he was just scoring the one goal and maybe getting six or seven points or something. But uh, there is a lot of value to that. Um, and to have never blanked twice in a row is just a, a wonderful achievement, really. Yeah, I mean, he, he very much appeals to the sort of player that likes to play the slow and steady game uh, and 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 rather than chopping and changing a lot. He, he very much uh, favours that. But the interesting thing is, and just to bring my experience of earning Kane this season, I think just to, just to touch back on that subject of how he was under the radar, I, for most of the first half of the season, my front line was Haaland, Kane and Jesus, which was very expensive. Like That was my premium. And, and I could get away with it just about because Salah wasn't really doing particularly well in the first half of the season. But the thing was, was that uh, there was just so much money invested in that front three that the rest of my team still struggled a lot. And I never lost faith in Kane as a goal scorer, but I did lose faith in Kane as a value uh, points deliverer, if that makes sense. Because mm. you mentioned there that he was slow and steady with his returns, that the big hauls were slightly rarer this season uh, than usual. He used to be a very boom and bust guy he would maybe go two game weeks with a couple of blanks because he'd hit the post or uh, someone had just put in a good goalkeeping performance against him and then he'd get 17 18 19 points and you know that's how you uh, did well with him because you could cap when you captained that that of course was more effective and so my first half of the season I was doing very poorly I went into the world cup ranked 800k based off a front line of ironically enough the two highest scoring forwards <laughs> eventually in the game and Jesus who in the first half of the season was also doing very well and then when I completely changed things after the World Cup kept Haaland but used the Kane money to invest elsewhere and of course the Jesus injury also helped as well um, I was able to invest elsewhere and, and I sort of went 3-5-2 for a while but effectively once I spent the Kane money on other areas of my team that's when my season took off and in the end, I finished just outside the top 10K. And, it, and it's much more complicated than that. There's obviously all sorts of factors involved in that. But I think it's possible that maybe the reason why Kane just went under the radar this year was because those hauls on a regular basis weren't big enough. You know, a 7, 8, 6, 7, 8, that sort of thing. It's not really that much value if you're, if, if you're not going to captain him because you've got Haaland and you have to captain him. And so the sort of the changing circumstances of the fantasy landscape around Kane are probably the contributing factors to him uh, having uh, having his best ever season in a season when well in terms of just pure point scoring despite it being a season when everybody just kind of was less invested in him as they as they were before and so i guess it just maybe just is an interesting discussion about value in fpl and you know is it worth spending 11 million on a guy who's going to get seven every week versus spreading that money and and, and finding a cheaper forward who can just about deliver the same ish or maybe slightly less but enable other areas of your team that's probably maybe yeah. one of the reasons behind the season for him it was interesting looking back at because i guess when it gets to game week one our initial teams tend to be based on whatever the trend of last season was so 
game week one this time, like myself and a lot of managers, it seemed to be big on defence. Like we all had sort of Trent, Cancelo, James, maybe even one more. But then perhaps next season, it might be the opposite of that because only only Alexander-Arnold at the end, if, if the pricey defenders was successful. So maybe next season, people will start off with a cheaper defence, which, which could then open up some money to have Haaland and Kane. But um, then again, Trippier is probably going to be a premium now. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I do, uh, I do always enjoy um, the obsession with big at the back at the start of the season. It never lasts. It never, ever lasts. And I'm just waiting for everybody to realise that. <laughs> Because yeah. you're just you're just never flexible enough to to jump on the the, the bandwagons that appear in the other positions, and uh, well, it happened again this season, sort of it's rather spectacular fail to be honest uh, for big at the back this year. But we digress somewhat. Um, if, if we're talking about value, though, we can segue. We can still segue. <laughs> uh, I mentioned about how we could spread that cane money and maybe find someone who was as consistently returning, uh, but for a much cheaper price. Uh, and enable bigger spending in midfield, perhaps. And one man who really, really helped managers with that this year, perhaps unexpectedly, uh, was Ivan Tony at Brentford. Yes, yeah, that, that's always the alternative to Harry Kane, just knowing that we have transfers every week and that we could just pick other forwards based on the next six or seven games. And Ivan, Ivan Tony is 20 goals bettered the 12 of last season. Uh, highlights included hat-trick against Leeds in game week six. And he, of course, scored twice when Brentford beat Man City the first time because I think the, the double in the end. Uh, yeah, in terms of the top three forwards, I, I, I guess that's possibly it really, isn't it? Although we do have other candidates. Even, Tony was ranked third amongst forwards for big chances, fourth best expected goal involvement of 22.28 and the only people the only three who beat his XGI were the premiums the sort of Salah, Kane, Haaland um, a very good penalty take he scored six, he did miss one his first since 2018, so he did miss one but um, he also because it was against Newcastle I seem to remember he, he scored another one in the same match, so so he wasn't exactly Mitrovic, who we'll get to later on. Um, but of course, the big news about Tony right now is that he'll be out of action until January. So yeah, it's going to be the one to talk about now for next year. That's right. Well, I mean, that's my. I, I wanted to offer you a trick, a trick question or a difficult question. <laughs> but is is how how you price Tony for next season? Because you know he he finished at seven point one. We have to say that that is still exceptional value um, when you consider the 182 points. So, without the ban, could be looking. He is he the new Jamie Vardy in terms of um, the stature of the club he plays for? You know, a sort of up and coming mid table, uh, you know, upper mid table team with European aspirations, which is what Leicester were, you know, some time ago. And you know, with a very reliable forward, nine million. You know that's that's sort of why why I make the the Jamie Vardy comparison. But if he's not actually going to be any use in the game until January, I mean it's a bit unprecedented. We haven't really had anything like this before. You know, knowing at this particular stage that such a a fantastic asset who's not injured 
This is the other thing is sometimes when those injuries happen, you know, the prices are already set or if it's a really long one, you know, you can you can get away with pushing that price down because, hey, when they come back, are they going to be ready to play? Now, you could have the same effect here. He's not going to play first team football for a long time. So is that going to affect him? So, yes, I'm going to I'm going to offer you the impossible question, Mark. How do you price Ivan Tony for next season? Mm, just getting into the mindset, I think, would they think, imagine that it's now January and he is back, what value should he be right now? And then work backwards from that. So, you know, if he returns in January and he's he's raring to go, assuming that he's still at Brentford, at that, pri- at, at that point, would you say, well, this is a guy who scored 20 goals last season, you should be pricing him at least 8 million if not more, and then do you give him that price now, knowing that no one's going to pick him anyway? Yeah, um, that's true. Because nobody sort of doesn't know about this story. Future. That's the thing. It is probably the biggest story in football that isn't necessarily strictly about the football. You know, there are people outside of football who are sort of invested in this story. Um, and so, yeah, they probably can rely on the fact that like everybody knows you can't pick him. And I suppose the interesting thing will be what that does to the price change algorithms. You know, is he going to drop in price from the price they start him at? Um, Mm. I know that I think that sales is a big factor in price drops. So you'd like to think maybe they don't go down too much. But sometimes players who just aren't playing and aren't owned also come down in price because FPL Mm. naturally keep their algorithms as secret as they possibly can. And and I think, don't quote me on this, they tweak them from time to time just to try and get ahead of the price change predictors. So whatever they go with might be cheaper in January. But that, that seems a fair way of doing it. Price him as if he is, so, so that he is the fair price from January. And hopefully yeah. that will create some nice balance in the game. And that and that will be a rise. So uh, I yeah. think the more interested, we'll come to him soon, I suppose. But um, his Brentford teammates who are going to step, step up in his absence, you know, the, could there be a bargain there or is the FPL towers thinking ahead of us? <laughs> well, yeah, we'll have to see. I and mean, as you say, we will come on to one of his colleagues uh, on the shortlist for the team of the season in just a minute. But we do have two other similarly priced uh, assets who, uh, well, actually, in fact, the next two are finish the season both on exactly the same price as each other. Same bracket, same sort of performance, 175 points for Ollie Watkins at Aston Villa. Nice to see this, uh, to be honest, because he had come under some criticism for his finishing um over the years no one's ever really doubted that he's he's a talented player because he because he does offer a lot to a team outside of just scoring goals but this is the year where he really you know put his name on the map yes um when we did the midfielder video there was a few players that sort of emphasized that it was a season of two halves and there were several names like Matoma and Rashford and, and March, who were purely second half of the season players. And, and Watkins was another one because he, he only scored once in his first 10 starts. Heading into game week 21, he was only on three. So it was really, I don't know if the, the sale of Danny Ings maybe did it add some confidence. Like it was that Unai Emery's way of saying to him, You are my striker. And did that inspire this run of 10 goals in 12 matches. So, yeah, 11 goals in 12 matches, but he scored in 10 of them. Um, So it was an incredible run, really. And 
it, it just looked purely confidence based and so much credit has to go to Emery for, for the way he's rejuvenated Aston Villa. Um, you see some of the names that they're linked with for next season already and it could be an exciting one and between game weeks 17 and 31, Watkins was the league's number one for shots on target, shots inside the box. So that was that's quite a solid length of time that he was one of the best, possibly the best striker in the game apart from Haaland Kane. Uh, it did fade a little bit at the end and he did have a penalty miss, but let's not forget that Ollie Watkins had a superb second half to the season. And that's certainly worth considering when picking this team. Yeah, I mean, if Aston Villa have nice fixtures out of the gate for the new season, then I think Watkins is very much going to be in the conversation for a lot of teams. Probably going to be an 8 million, 8.5, something like that, would you say, for the new season? Yeah. Most of the players we're discussing probably are going to rise because they've had good seasons. So he'll be another one. Um but how much? Eight? Will it be higher than that? Hopefully not, because yeah, it was a, it was a, the first half was pretty pretty barren for him. So something about something like eight, maybe. Yeah, that probably seems right. And you're absolutely right. All these players are going to have a a big rise. Although it must be said, just from a non-FBL perspective, that the meteoric rise of Ollie Watkins still is probably very inspiring to a lot of people. Um, He also is actually ex-Brentford. So there's actually a lot of Brentford links in this uh, forwards uh, list. And, And the crazy thing is, I watched Ollie Watkins playing League Two football for Exeter City about five, six years ago. And it was it was him actually that that turned a Devon derby against Plymouth Argyle completely on its head. Um, they were Exeter City were one 0 down, sort of about seven or eight minutes to go, and he scored two absolute worldies to win the game. So it's it's very sort of surreal for me to see a player who was operating at that level um, as recently as that now <laughs> talking about him as an eight million, eight point five million fantasy asset. So yeah, well mm-hmm. done to him for um, some hard work and yes, yeah, an incredible rise. So let's talk Definitely. about someone else who is in a similar price bracket, like exactly the same. He finished the season at 7.3. And while Ollie Watkins is someone who means a lot to my part of the world, Callum Wilson means quite a lot to yours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. From, from an FBL perspective, he was sort of sometimes having knowledge or believing that you sort of have more knowledge about your team sort of backfires because... Callum Wilson at the end was on an incredible streak and I was purely on Team Isaac oh, right. uh, completely because I was just thinking, yeah, he's a forward you know, rather than shove him out on the left and have Wilson up front. You want him in his best position. But no, Eddie Howe did in the final weeks find a way to start both of them um, where where Kane just went on this crazy run uh between game weeks 29 and 36, he scored 11 times despite starting only five matches. And he only played 555 minutes. 11 goals in that time. That's like the equivalent of just over six full matches. And he scored 11. It was it was crazy, really. Just lots of cameos off the bench where he would score a brace. It was, it was well, it was great for him from a fan's perspective, but that was definitely his best Premier League campaign. Wilson finished on 18 goals and he ends as the fourth best forward for XG 
And of the players that played regularly, only Haaland has a better minutes per goal rate. So, yeah, it was it was quite a, a remarkable end to the season. And I think the presence of Callum Wilson probably decided a lot of mini leagues at the end. That's how much of a swing it was. Yeah, it was it was huge, and um, I I completely agree that the the stats that he was posting were just unbelievable. In that, all of a sudden, minutes meant nothing, and there was the week one. I, 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 so I actually personally also went with both because I could see the the, the benefit of having Isak, but I I also could see the the massive upside to having Wilson, and I didn't really want to pick between the two, and I was on three five two at the time, and so it wasn't that difficult to upgrade. Um, I think it was Greenwood was my third forward um, into the other one, and so um, and 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 then the difficult decision was which one to captain in that double game week, and I I I nearly went Wilson, and I know people always say, oh I nearly did this, I nearly did that, but I was honestly very very close because I talked about it in one of the videos that that I'd done that looking into those stats, the fact that he wasn't starting games. And he was posting numbers that were on, like on level terms with people who were starting games. And so if you just completely covered up the minutes column and you and you sorted the Premier League for things like shots in the box, big big chances, shots on target for like last four, last six, and you just yeah, covered up the minutes column, you would see Wilson up there with Harlan Kane, the best of them. And you would just assume, oh, this guy's starting every week. And then you remove that, what you're covering the minutes with. And it's like, oh, wow, hardly any minutes at all. And so almost seemed to do better sometimes as an impact substitute. I was I was kind of saying to people, if you catch wind in a press conference that he's not going to start, captain him. <laughs> captain the sub. and Because it, it was very weird. You never normally do that. You want to captain the guy that's going to play the most minutes, right? <laughs> not with Callum Wilson. Yeah. Um, and so... He just always seems to find a way of being a bit of a an enigma. You know, he could. It was a bit like Jamie Vardy as well, because a sort of player who, in the past, sometimes has done really, really well from having hardly any shots. You know, one shot a game, one goal. There was a time at Bournemouth where uh, that was the case. There was also times when he was having tons of shots every game and not getting goals. And then now his latest enigma is simply that he he wasn't necessarily always starting but still got the points but I think he really forced his way into the starting 11 by the end of the season and I'd be very surprised if he was still being used as an impact sub uh, for next well, year he, he definitely did have a big barren streak throughout the season just those final weeks before the World Cup and then um, after the World Cup Newcastle weren't in Newcastle had a bit of a low scoring spell so he was part of that but yeah there was a game game week 34 against Southampton he came on at half time so he had 45 minutes he scored twice and he still underperformed according to his xg so in like one half against Southampton he had an xg of 2.37 it's just nuts which was just <laughs> he was he was, it was both phenomenal from an fpl perspective and you could say he should have done better because of that which, yeah it was just a, a mad few weeks, really. Yeah, very scary uh, for those who didn't own him. I, I feel very pleased that I did. I never captained him. I wish I had. But yeah, certainly having him just uh, did help me in a few mini leagues, that's for sure. Um, and yeah, probably going to be a similar price to, to Watkins next season. If Newcastle have a good run when the, fi- when the fixtures come out, I think he's very much going to be talked about in game week one squads. But also, yeah. Brian and Bumo, probably, also going to be in the conversation. Uh, because a bit cheaper 
Number one man at Brentford. And and sorry, this is in a world where Brentford's fixtures are really nice at the start of next season. Um, he finished at 5.7, but was the sixth highest scoring forward in the end. I never once owned him at all. And to be perfectly honest, I even forgot he was a forward until like March because I just wasn't, somehow wasn't interested in owning him because I think Tony had taken all the plaudits. But he absolutely deserves his place on this team of the season because, I mean, you can't argue I mean, that incredible value, 150 points from a 5.7 million forward. But, never, but his ownership on the final day of the season, 4%. So he very much went under the radar, didn't he? Yeah. He certainly boosted himself in the final three games. Uh, he scored three in the final two and, and assisted a couple of that haul against Tottenham. So that definitely boosted him up there. But even regardless of that, he probably overtakes Solanke as sort of the best budget forward of the season. But I think... In pre-season, he was changed from midfielder to forward, wasn't he? I think, was it this season? Um, So that combined with being in the shadow of Ivan Toney and his penalties, he was was just, yeah, he was never really considered by anyone. Um, Because you think, well, give yourself a little bit more money and you can have Toney, who's, who's, who's the better option. But that late push means that he ends as the season's best points per million forward. And yeah, with, with Tony out until January, of course, it's fairly likely that Brentford will just buy a striker. Um, but there's also, and Bruno's probably going to play regardless because he was still a regular, even with Tony. And yeah, what sort of price will he get? Will he get a... a a big boost on his initial six million pound price. It's certainly one of the first names probably go to when the game launches. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, the fact that Tony's not there could potentially add a point five onto him, um, mm-hmm. just because he's going to just be like more likely to play. Unless, of course, they do make a big signing. Maybe they sign Harry Kane. <laughs> Probably won't. But um, you know, it, it, the transfer market is it's a good point to, to consider that here. If, if they don't sign anyone, uh, if they think they can get by without Tony until January, which, you know, maybe they can. This this squad is very good at being better than the sum of its parts. That's very much the uh, the mantra that Thomas Frank kind of operates from. So could happen. And so then he might be a bit more expensive, maybe like a 7 million, do you think? Something like that. He, he, he seems to be on penalties as well in his absence. So, yeah. Uh, it's like you were saying yesterday, name a price you would like to see <laughs> and then add half a million onto yeah. it. So, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, well, 6.5 could be nice. Therefore, it's probably seven. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's just assume that for sure. Well, you've mentioned penalties a couple of times and you've even mentioned one of our honorable mentions already. So, a useful time to shift to those honorable mentions um the first of which is alexander Mitrovic, who i want to say like tony ha- has had a chunk out of the season slightly different reasons of course he did have that big suspension do you think that that suspension is perhaps maybe what just and maybe the penalties as well is what just counted against him for making that final shortlist um, because if he'd have played those games scored those penalties, he might have been looking at 150 point, 160, 70 point season rather than just 107. Yeah, it could be considered harsh to to only have him as an honourable mention because if, if his first half and second half switched switched around, he would have had a strong end to the season. He, he was sort of like Wilson, but the other way around. Uh, he scored 11 times in his first 15 matches. So he's one of the early season stars, 
But after that, he was goalless for the next six, and then he received the large ban. And, oh, yes, by the way, he missed four penalties. So it sort of sours the feeling on Midrovic a bit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, do you, what would your thoughts be on earning him for next season? Do you think he's got a point to prove? Do you think he's going to... I mean, would you trust him with a penalty at this point? You know, um, six point, you probably think he's probably going to be 7 million. He finished at 6.6. 6. Um, what would your thoughts be on him for next season? Well, the, the very best players miss penalties. We've seen Salah miss, miss and we've seen Saka also miss. So to a point, you think, yes, they'll trust him. But there is a number that has to be reached where you where you say, okay, the line has been crossed. And I think when you've missed two, okay, let's keep faith. But when you've missed four, that that's a bit silly. So, no, I wouldn't trust them with penalties. But, um, and maybe that's something that Marco Silva explores over the summer. Maybe, maybe, that, maybe he's not going to be taking them anymore because that's a lot of goals that's been denied to Fulham. But I do think in general... Um, it could be forgotten how good he was for a while. And depending on how he's priced, depending on what Fulham's early fixtures look like, he could still, just like last season, be a be one of the early picks for sure. Yeah, I mean, you made an excellent point a few minutes ago when you said um, people might be remembering his season very differently if his first and second half of the season were swapped. Because they can sometimes, well, I say sometimes, I think it happens all the time. Football is just obsessed with recency bias. And so, um, yeah, if we were doing this team of the season, just going into the World Cup, he probably would make the shortlist. Um, but, you know, it's it's we got so many names that, that finished so strongly that, and of course did obviously outscore Mitrovic as well. Um, I think that's probably a contributing factor here. Uh, but another player in a similar situation to that is also in the honourable mentions, had a great first half of the season and didn't have a bad end to the season, but missed basically all of the middle. And that's Gabriel Jesus. Yeah, I, I was totally unaware of how well he'd done in the final weeks, actually. Uh, he, he got six goals late on. And yeah, so in my head, I was just thinking, yeah, he was he was the early days. And that was that. But no, he, he he was in. He was such a popular pick going into the season. Um, in terms of like ownership, effective ownership, it was there was so little to gain from him. He was in over six million teams all the way up to the World Cup, and he started off pretty well. He had five goals, four assists in his first nine appearances, and then it faded a little bit, and then the injury occurred, and and that was sort of it for him as an FPL asset this season, although some will have uh, punted on him for the final day and done really well with that. Um, so he, he's ended on a high and he started on a high. It was just that middle period and you know, next next season if, if assuming the trio of Arsenal midfielders get a big price bump, could, could Jesus be the preferred route into Arsenal's attack? Who knows? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there because that middle chunk is absolutely when that trio of Arsenal players, the midfielders, did so well. And we talked about them on the midfielders video, so if you've not had a chance to watch that yet, you can always go back and, and have a look. It's a very difficult season for those three, uh, For those three, if you're a fantasy manager, like making sure you had the right one at the right time. And that's in a world without Jesus also in the picture. And so picking the best Arsenal attacker for the new season could be very difficult. And 
you know, they're going to benefit from getting more points as midfielders for things like goals and clean sheets. And so you would like to think that that would be reflected in Jesus's price. And the injury has probably taken off enough points from his, his potential total uh, for his price not to go up as much as theirs do. So you could be right. And I suppose the interesting thing is it was because those three midfielders did so well in the middle that when he came back, nobody had room for him because Kane and Haaland were kind of auto-includes by the end. Watkins, Wilson, Isak, you know, we, we already had, and, you know, and, and Brighton as well also opened up in CISO. So the double game weeks didn't exactly help him get back on the radar because I was just noticing that he actually had more double-digit hauls after his injury than before. I make it just one <laughs> before his injury because he, he was a steady Eddie. For, with one massive 19 port hall in game week two and so those midfielders helped him go under the radar could they help him go under the radar again for next season maybe next season could be the time that jesus rises again if you'll pardon the pun absolutely. um <laughs> shaking absolutely <laughs> arsenal will arsenal do have champions league football next year so that could just as you're starting to talk yourself back into jesus could have a setback there by just thinking, well, okay, Trossard did come in in January and they are going to have European football this season and that's before transfers are made. So uh, he's still very likely to be their number one forward, but you know, could his minutes be managed with, with all that in mind? How are Arsenal going to be as a whole? You know, Could they possibly have a season as good as this one? Or is there going to be a drop-off? So many questions about them that we'll discover the answer to. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Playing from Wednesday to Saturday could make it a lot harder for Jesus to be nailed on on the third day <laughs> after his last last appearance. <laughs> anyway, let's move on before I offend too many more people. Let's talk about Dominic Solanke, who is our final final mention. Uh, you you talked about him in the conversation with Mbermo. And yeah, I think Obama probably yeah just edges it on on the point score. But Solanke really did offer exceptional value, probably halfway between January and the end, because we had the the blank game weeks came along. The teams that aren't good enough to make it very far in the cup competitions usually come to the fore in that time of the season. And Dominic Solanke very much did that with the plum. Yes, yeah, he was, he was he had the most assists out of every forward in the game. He had ten assists, but, but if that's your main. That's your main asset. Then, then it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to get you too far in FPL. But he he was very much there to help managers that needed the money elsewhere. He played a very fine purpose in the game, um, just to help with that. And and he would step in when needed. He got a fifteen point haul at Spurs, um, in the final third of the season. But yeah, apart from that, he was sort of there to. For managers who maybe switch between three five two and three four three, depending on the week, he was quite useful to have as a cheap forward that you weren't scared of bench. But uh, he was mostly just an assist machine this year. Yeah, although you say not scared to bench, I think some people were a bit scared to bench him because I'm fairly confident that that big haul against Spurs was one where people looked at it and went, "Oh, it's Spurs." So therefore, I will bench him. And so I, I wonder if, I wonder if his pulls, if they were slightly more predictable, might have potentially 
thrust him into the actual shortlist rather than your honourable mentions because sometimes the unpredictability of a player's hauls will count against them in terms of that sentimental value. You know, if you can't predict when they're going to happen, it means that even though they get a decent point score, you actually you just don't like the guy as much as you do if it's someone who you can predict them. I, I think the nearest comparison I can think of is Aubameyang when he was at, in inverted commas, his peak at Arsenal because I don't really think he's ever really had a fantasy peak. Um, but you know he he actually would he had a couple of seasons where he scored really well, which we would assess and notice at the end of the season. But actually, when you followed the ebbs and flows of the seasons, the amount of times that he was sold or not captained, and then would deliver in a game you maybe didn't quite expect him to deliver in. I don't know. Do you mm. feel like there was a bit of an element of that with Solanke? Probably not as Bamiyang is probably an extreme example. But when you're you know sort of having a dalliance with a third forward who is actually close to six million and can deliver. I don't know. Do you think that can sometimes just actually be slightly more challenging than just going with definitely three five two and definitely three four three? Like switching, perhaps maybe is uh, limited how people could benefit from him. Yeah, yeah, completely. It was it was only later on in the season when sort of there was a bit more fluidity in formations because of the, the Brighton midfielders, but certainly at the start of the season when most people had Andreas Pereira as a 4.5 fifth mid, he himself was really good, actually. Um, there could have been a good rotation between Solanke and, and Pereira, but I suppose most people sort of by picking Pereira had committed to a 3-4-3, perhaps, in which case you'd probably look for a better third striker, but he was he was fine. He did okay. Yeah, he helped people play the game. That's that's for sure. But and and you're right. Formation, uh, people's preferences m- had an impact there. I was a big proponent of of Solanke. Um, even did a stupid little TikTok video where I ate cherry tomatoes because I thought it was that good. And um, I, I always expected him to deliver, but it's just I never found the space for him in my squad because I I generally don't like playing um, three five two. Uh, uh, and and switching between three four three and three five two, I like to be one or the other. And my preference is usually for three four three. And as you say, when you do that and you're committed to it with a very cheap fifth midfielder, you know I would have I had a Watkins for portions. I had Wilson as well because I, I still think they're better than, than Solanke. Um, and so that is probably what's gone on there. He's going to be more expensive next year, probably not loads more, uh, but I still think. Be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see how um, what what the prices are for your Wilsons and your Watkins and the fixtures for those clubs. Um, same with Bre- with Brentford actually and Burma as well. Whether or not Kane is still around is is huge because if he's not going to be there, then we're going to be probably Harland and two strikers from the six to eight million bracket. Um, if Kane is going to be there and he's going to be United, then you probably want both of them. And your third striker might have to be cheaper. It might have to be a Solanke. If Kane's not there, you can maybe get away with Haaland, one of Watkins or Wilson. Maybe Solanke actually gets back into the conversation because he's more expensive. It's it's weird how fantasy minds can work. And I obviously include myself in this as well. I'd much rather sometimes own a guy who's like 6 million who I feel like can do a job than own a guy who's like 5 million and I might bench him. You know, because that price forces you to commit that a little bit more, um, which, could, which could happen with him uh, potentially. Yeah, totally. Very much could, yeah. Yeah, so to be honest, 
of all of the sections we've looked at, because this is the last that we've looked at, the forwards one is potentially the one that's got the most hanging up in the air. Um, it's very difficult to see how we're going to be invested next year because there's just so much to, to wait on. Prices, Kane, etc. So, yeah, very, very uh, interesting. But yes, that does bring us to the end of our uh, series of videos on the team of the season. Do not forget to head to Fantasy Football Scout and uh, find the polls sidebar and also the articles as well uh, to vote in all of the different positions. And when that's done, there will be a very difficult decision behind the scenes in the Fantasy Football Scout writers' room to take your votes and construct that into a team. We've just been talking about deciding formations. That is something you guys are going to have to do, isn't it, Mark? Are you looking forward to that daunting task? Yes. Um, we need to clarify whether budgets, if we're sticking to a budget here, because that will uh, completely change whether. Let's say uh, let's say the fourth best defender was Alexander-Arnold. You know, do, you, do you put him in or does it stop you getting one of the others? So, yes, there will definitely be a discussion in the <laughs> office about that. <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that one. That should be uh, that should be fun. See if we can film it office style, you know. <laughs> but yeah, so don't forget to go vote in that and uh, make Mark and his colleagues' life as difficult as possible this summer as they pick that team. Uh, now, I, I can't let you guys go without reminding you to uh, like this video and to subscribe to the Fantasy Football Scout YouTube channel and hit the bell notification. The bell notification is going to be so much more important in the off-season than ever before because you won't be necessarily always looking for the content over the summer because there is no football, there's no deadlines, but there will be plenty of videos for you to enjoy as we look back on the season that's just gone and start looking ahead to the season to come. So make sure you've uh, ticked all those uh, boxes. There's plenty more content uh, to come as well. We've finished our season review now, so if you haven't seen the other positions, go back and, and watch those. Uh, we're going to be previewing game week 39 as well. And uh, we're also um, going to be, yeah, as I said, looking forward to next season. The fixtures actually come out next month it's very it's going to come around very quickly so we'll be able to assess those fairly soon so make sure you uh, stay tuned uh, there um, that's everything from me unless there's anything you'd like to add mark nope covered everything thank you very much yeah no worries and thank you for joining us it's been very very useful to draw on your insight from the uh, yeah the, the the factory of knowledge that is the fantasy football scout editorial department so yeah thank you very much and uh, with that it's a goodbye from me and goodbye for me. Have a nice summer. Cheers, guys.